We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning. We're drawing close to the end. We're going to be in chapter 15, uh, covering verses 1 to 7 this morning. So, all right, I titled uh, this morning's message, Love, Unity, and One Mind. It kind of sounds like our government right now, doesn't it? Anybody laugh with that? No, it's not our government. But the sad part is, is that if I were to say to you, how about within the church? Love, unity, and one mind. And my prayer for Calvary Chapel Fellowship is that that would be something that this church would be known for. The love that comes out of this church should be the the number one thing that we desire. And and that unity and that oneness of mind that we would have. I mean, to me, that's what makes an inviting church. That's why people would even want to come along to this place at all. And not for the numbers, but just for a place that they would come to, that they would be able to say, you know what, when I came into this place, God's presence was there. I sensed it in the people. And that's so important. You see, without these things, what is it? It's just a a group of people gathering together like any other group in any other setting. But this is the church. This is God's house. I have to take you back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Because as I shared in the beginning, as we got into this practical section of Romans, that verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, they're really key verses to us being able to apply the things that we've been learning over the past few weeks. You see, it tells us in verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Speaking to us as Christians, he says it's by the mercies of God that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is the, your reasonable service. That we would be these living sacrifices. And notice that they're holy sacrifices. And this holy sacrifice, and only when it's holy, Is it acceptable to God? But look at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that transformation began in your heart the day you gave your life to Christ. There's also this transformation that is going on in our minds. All of that stuff that we collect during the week, we need to allow God and by His Holy Spirit and His Word to keep us from being conformed to the things of this world. But we need to be transformed. And we need to let God have His way in our minds. It's a battle, isn't it? 
I mean, just talking about love, unity, and one mind. Don't you think that it needs a mind that is being transformed? It's not really even something in our very makeup, our nature, our flesh, who we are apart from Christ, that would be able to love the way that we're called to love. And and our flesh doesn't even rally around unity all the time. And nor are we always on the same mind and the same purpose. It's really against, our flesh bucks up against that. That's why I needed to read chapter 12, 1 and 2. Because unless you're a living sacrifice unto God, unless you say to God, God, this is me and I want you to have all of me, I'm all yours. And I want to be holy. And I want you to renew my mind. I want you to transform me from the inside out. You see, that's the only way that we can really deal with the problems that we have in relationships. We've been talking a lot about relationships as we've been going through this practical section of Romans. It started with our relationship with God, and it always does. If this isn't good, this won't be good either. It always starts with having a good relationship with God. And then what will follow is you'll have a good relationship with one another. You'll have a good relationship with those within the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll even have better relationships with those that are outside of the church because it's God in you wanting to send you out into a world that needs that love, that needs to be able to see somebody that would come and express love and hope to them. Paul said in chapter 12, verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. You know, not fake love. And, and I think all of us at times have found ourselves loving and saying we love, but in a sense it was really a fake love. It wasn't the kind of love that was placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is God's love that was being demonstrated in a relationship. It was a superficial love. It was a love that, you know, it's, it's not the kind of love that God wants to work through us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and that's what God wants to work through our lives. But it's our flesh, isn't it, that stands in the way of, <clears throat> excuse me, of that love coming forth out of our life quite often. Paul said in chapter 12, verse 10, he says, being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Putting others above yourself. Not always easy to do, is it? Having that brotherly love and affection towards one another. I really do care for you. I really do want to give of myself to you. 
because of what Christ has done in me. In chapter 13, verse 8, we also read about relationships. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are these. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of the law. If we could just do that, you'll fulfill everything else. You won't need to be concerned with all the other commandments. If you would just love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, you've done it all. He makes it so simple, doesn't he? But that's just in writing. How about applying it? How about putting that into action? We can't do it in our own effort. It's only God that can do it in us and through us. And we have to die to self. And we have to say, God, you know what? That's not me by my very nature. To love like that, unconditionally, sacrificially, giving myself my time, my money, my efforts towards other people. It's so easy to love those people that we actually are close with. You know, family members. Maybe it's your spouse, hopefully. You know, but to love your neighbor, to love those people that are unloving and unlovely towards you, that's difficult. But we're even called to love the ungodly. Aren't you glad? That Jesus came and died for you when you were ungodly, apart from Him. Could you even imagine if the kind of love that I'm talking about this morning, if it was applied in every situation in your life, every relationship that you have in your life, What would happen in your marriage? What would happen in your homes? What would happen in this church? What would happen at the office, at school? If we actually lived out and sought for God to do this through us, could you only imagine what it would be like? I think marriages would be transformed. Churches, I believe, would flourish. People want to come to this place. I think that brothers and sisters in Christ would be united together in in purpose, loving each other. There would be people that don't know Christ being drawn to us. They want to taste a little bit of this love, this hope that you have in you. 
I think even the poor and the needy and the orphans and the widows that we read about in Scripture, that that's pure religion. Those needs would be met. The church would be doing it. It's why we would want to mount up a group of people and send it down to the coast to go help people we don't know. Because the love of God constrains us. It lives in us. He wants to work through us. Last week, we covered chapter 14. And in verse 1, look at your Bibles, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. You see, much of the New Testament is about correction. Why? Because we often need to be corrected. There's nothing new. The early church needed correction. We need correction. And Paul was addressing an issue here at the church in Rome. Different cultures had come together in that city of Rome. Jew and Gentile. And and they were all in one church. Or in multiple churches, but in the church there in Rome. And here's Paul having to write to them in this letter and reminding them there will be some in your fellowship that are weak in their faith. There will be some in your church that that, uh, they're weaker in their faith. And those of you that are strong, you need to be the ones that are coming alongside those people and building them up. And not getting into disputes about all these things that we call the gray areas. You know, those things that people just can't seem to get on the same page about. What we should do or not do as Christians. Those things that are not spelled out specifically in the Bible. I'm okay if somebody has a different thought on one of those issues that I talked about last week. As long as it doesn't directly violate the Word of God, I'll let God be the judge. And if we'll just do that, then there is no disputing. There's no getting worked up about it. There are a lot of people that get worked up in church. And it's because they have all these certain things that they kind of say, well, you know, how would you do that? Why would you do that? Don't worry about it. Let God be the judge. Let God work it out. And then you can just sit back and relax. Now, if it's something, we're not talking about just letting anything go. You know, the Word of God is very clear on things that are sin and things that we should avoid and things that need to sometimes be corrected. We're not talking about that. We're talking about those things that are doubtful things, as Paul puts here. Paul also said in chapter 14, verse 19, he says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What's it mean to pursue something? To me, that means something of effort. For me to pursue after something means I need to make effort towards it. 
And so let us, as Christians, pursue the things which make for peace. I don't want to have a bunch of conflict in the church. I don't want to have conflict in my home. I don't want to have conflict at work. There's lots of conflict, potential conflict, that is around us all the time. As Christians, we should be pursuing the things that make for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. It's characteristic of a, it's a quality trait of a Christian. If you're the kind of person that's always riling people up, you're not a peacemaker. We need to be peacemakers. We're coming this morning to chapter 15 where Paul is going to exhort us to unity. He's going to exhort us that we would be of the same mind in tune with one another. Unity in our midst. Those are great words. It's just not always easy to do. That's the problem. Let's read our text. Verses uh, 1 to 7. Paul writes, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant to you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What's the key in all of this? In those seven verses, remember that what we're reading here in these first seven verses is really a a continuation, I said last week, of chapter 14. The thought of chapter 14 is flowing into chapter 15 here. What's the key to these seven verses here? I believe the key is unity. The the key to this is that we would be like-minded with one another. That we would not be pleasing ourselves. That's a big one. You might want to underline that one. Not pleasing myself. But pleasing uh, pleasing our neighbor for his good. You mean putting people above myself? That seems odd. Why would I do that? 
Why would I seek to please somebody more than I want to please myself? Because it's Christ-like. And it actually will bring unity within the body of Christ. Why would I want to do that in my marriage? Because I want to be happy. There's no unity in marriage. If there's no unity in the home, you're not happy. But if you want it, then we need to take on the mind of God. We need to say, God, would you renew this mind and this heart of mine? Would you do something in me that would change me? Those who are stronger in faith ought to bear the scruples of the weak. You see, some of us have been Christians longer than others. Some of us here, we know that there are times that you have new believers that come along. That maybe they don't have all the understandings that God has shown you over the years. And so our job, those of us that are stronger in our faith, we ought to bear the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak. Those that maybe don't have the understanding that you have. Instead of trying to come in and just slam them or make them feel like, you know, I'm doing, you know, just come alongside to encourage. There's a lot of times where I hear things that go, "Mm, okay, you know, and I move on. There are times that God calls me to say something. But I don't always look and grab hold of every opportunity to say something to somebody that maybe didn't say it quite accurately, or maybe they're doing something, you know, I'm not always looking for those opportunities. And neither should any of us. Let God be God and let God do what He does best by His Holy Spirit. He'll work in people's lives. It's very freeing. We need to be concerned with building people up. That's that's the important part. Building people up, not tearing people down. It's, It's... Nobody wants to come to a place if you get tore down every week. We want to come to a place where we're getting built up by one another. The New Testament, uh, excuse me, the New New Living Translation reads this way. We may know that these things make no difference, but but we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. We must be considerate of the doubts and the fears of those who think these things are wrong. Remember we talked about the meat eaters and the vegetable eaters? And Paul is using those two things and you could place a lot of things in place of meat and vegetables. But that was one of the issues within the church. I don't need to make it a point to say, you know, you have the freedom to eat a big steak with me. Why are you just munching on all those greens? You know, don't you know you're free to eat this meat? You legalist. 
You're all bound up. You know, don't, don't worry about that. Let them eat their greens and I'll eat my meat. It doesn't matter. Remember how we close chapter 14 and verse 23. Look at your Bibles. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he, he does not eat from faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Here's the point. God wants us in everything that we do, everything that we practice, everything that we would partake of, to operate by faith. He wants us to do the things that we do by faith. If it's a gray area and we're not sure if we should be doing it, we're not sure if we should be eating that or doing this or doing that, then it's sin if you do it anyway. Does that make sense? God wants us to operate in such a way that what we do, we're doing it in faith. And so if the brother or sister does not have the faith, then wait on God. Let God reveal that or help them in that. But let God work that in them. Because you're actually pushing them into sin if they, you, if they do something that they don't think is right. You know, like you want to invite them to the movies. Should Christians go to movies? I don't feel like, you know, that's a place we should be. You probably shouldn't be then. And some of you just go, hey, we're going to the movies. No big deal. Want to come along? Yeah, I'll come along. Yeah, but I, I can't, you know, I don't, you know. Okay, you probably shouldn't. You see, there's a lot of liberties and rights that we have. But not everybody has come to that place of understanding. That's what Paul was dealing with in his time as he was writing this letter. It's the same thing that we deal with in the same ways in church today. The list is a mile long of the gray areas. Verse 15, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, that word ought, we then who are strong ought, that word ought means that we're under obligation. Those that are stronger in faith. You're under an obligation or you owe it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And in a sense, you have a debt is really what that word ought means. And that you are also to bear, then that same word bear is used of Jesus even bearing his cross. You ought to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak and not please yourself. Weiss translates it this way. As for us, then, the strong ones, we have a moral obligation to be bearing the infirmities of those who are not strong and not to be pleasing ourselves. 
It's an obligation. It's what will bring unity. If we express it in love and unity, it won't be an issue. We're not called to be judgmental. It's not a gift. You don't have the gift of judgment. You don't have the gift of condemnation. You know, and so we're not called to be judgmental. Can I call out sin? There are times. If you see a brother in sin, first consider yourself and go to that brother. First looking inward and then go. There's times. So don't get this mixed up with just anything goes. But we're not to be judgmental as brothers and sisters. We're not to be critical towards those that are weaker in their faith. We need to leave those things to the judgment of God. That's a good place to it. Just put it into His hands. It's in these situations that we find ourselves in, in church or out of church, where the love of God is really manifested. You see, if you really care about and love your brother or sister in Christ, if you really love your spouse, if you really love those people that you have this relationship with, you're not trying to set yourself up as judge and be critical all the time. You're trying to to build them up and do something in them, see something good that's coming in them. Looking back at chapter 14 again, it says, Receive the one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. You get that? God is the one that received So in other words, if God has already received him, who am I to say that I don't receive you? That's not a place that I can put myself in. Look at verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Edification is building up. Let us please his neighbor. To please means to behave properly. It means to give or be the source of satisfaction. It's what we're called to do with our neighbor. Now, I addressed who our neighbor was last week, and our neighbor is not the zip code that you live in. Your neighbor can be at work. Your neighbor can be at the store, wherever you're at. It's people that... that God puts you in contact with it. You can love on to love your neighbor. And why do we do all of this? It's because it's what God calls us to. It's what God wants to work through us. It's not an option. God never gave us the option to say, you know, love if you feel like it. It's a command. And if we have this love that is 
working in our own personal life, you're always going to be looking for the highest good in the people that you relate with. You're always going to be looking out for the highest good in those people that you say you love. The problem in the church in Rome was that there were some that were strong in their faith or strong, and they were seeking to please themselves. That's the issue. When we please ourselves, we're typically not pleasing others, and we're not pleasing God. The Christians were some of them anyway, were more focused on the inward rather than the outward. Have you ever noticed that's the tendency of our flesh? You know, to please itself. Do you, do you ever just, the first thing that runs through your mind, or you get up in the day and you think, man, first thing that's running through your mind is, what can I do for somebody right now? What, you know, you're just thinking, you're thinking outside the box. You're just thinking, what could I do today for so-and-so, my wife, whoever it is, my husband, whatever situation it is at work, that I would like to please somebody else besides myself. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10, he says, whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's our Lord. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he says, In verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, or encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, then fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, listen to this, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. If we could just do that. Wow. That would transform everything. Every relationship, every relational problem that we have could be transformed. Changed improved, made better. Here are nine responsibilities that the strong believer has towards the weaker brother or sister. Receive the weaker believer as God has. Romans 14, 1 and 3. Don't despise the weak believer. Romans 14, 2. Don't put a stumbling block in their way. Romans 14, 13 and verse 20. Walk in love towards the weak. Romans 14, 15. Pursue peace in the body of Christ. 
Romans 14, 17 and 19. Edify and build up the weaker believer. Romans 14, 19. Don't flaunt your liberty before the weak. Romans 14, 22. Bear patiently with their weaknesses. Romans 15, 1. And seek to please your brother for his good and not your own. 15, 1. That's nine responsibilities that I found that we have towards the weaker brother or sister. Now look at your Bibles, verse 3. For even Christ did not please Himself. What's that say? Well, He's our best example. You want an example to follow? Follow Christ. Walk in His steps. For even Christ did not please Himself. So why would I do that? Why do I seek to please myself? Even my Lord didn't please Himself. He goes on, Paul quotes from Psalm 69, verse 9. He says, But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's quoting what King David wrote in that Psalm 69, verse 9, which reads this, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. You see, Jesus was so taken up with the honor that He had for His Father that when people reproached God, He took it as an insult against Himself. As they reproached His Father, said things against Him, He took it upon Himself. The insults upon Himself. You know how it is when somebody curses your God and you take it personally. We have to ask ourselves the question, is our life about pleasing ourselves or pleasing God and others? You see, if you're about pleasing God and others, there's a lot that's going to change in your relationships. Back in Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul went on to say this. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's our example. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation. Remember, we're talking about Jesus here. He made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Himself the form of a bondservant, a slave. And He came in the likeness of men. He housed Himself into a body of flesh and blood like we live in. And being found in appearance as a man, we're told that He humbled Himself. This is our Lord humbling Himself and He became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross, the shame of the cross. That's our Lord. He's our ultimate example. And He says, and let this mind be in you. We can't do that apart from Him. That enabling grace that He gives us to be able to live that way. To humble ourselves. 
to be obedient to all that God calls us to do, to others even, laying our lives down for others, loving others the way God has loved me. It's a work of God. It's a miracle of God that any one of us could look at our life and go, I I love people differently now than when I didn't know Christ. It's a work of God. It's a miracle of God in you. Paul further tells us the benefits of looking into the Scriptures, looking at the examples that we find in Scripture. Look at verse 4. For what, whatever things were written before, he's talking about the Old Testament. Paul's writing here, he says, whatever things that were written before were written for our learning, for our instruction is what Paul is saying, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We should prize this Bible. It's God's Word to you and I. It's Him speaking to us. It's a love letter to you and I. It's full of instruction, but it's also full of promises. It's this Word of God. It's the Scriptures that ultimately give us this hope that we have. You see, there are people today that try to say, we don't need the Old Testament. Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant. That's the law, the Old Covenant. We don't need that. You see, we're under the New Covenant now. That's true. We are no longer under the Old Covenant. We are under the New Covenant. But it's false to say that we don't need the Old Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, he says to Christians, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers, speaking of the fathers in the Old Testament, they were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate at the same spiritual food. They all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, the old points to the new. The new looks back at the old, and we don't understand even the new without the old. But he goes on to say, but with most of them, speaking about his own people, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness when they were wandering in that wilderness for 40 years. Now these things became our examples. This is why the Old Testament is so important to you and I. They became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 people fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. That sounds to me like it's pretty much instructional to me. 
that all of what transpired with the children of Israel, all of their failures and what they did, that it would be an example to me that I wouldn't go that way. You see, the Old Testament does apply to us today. These things became our examples. They were written for our admonition, Paul says. They're for our instruction. They're also written for our warning that we wouldn't go that way. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That To me, that all it means all of it, new and old. It's given to us by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction, for instruction in righteousness, all of it. And then it says this, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the theme of our men's retreat. The man of God. We could say the woman of God. That the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. How? Through the Word of God. All Scripture. Knowing our Bibles. Knowing what it says. Applying it to our life. The man of God. A person struggling to be a man of God or a woman of God might find themselves coming up short on knowing what the Word of God says. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know the Word of God. We need to be growing in our understanding of it. So what does the Bible do for you? What does it actually do for you personally? Well, they're for our learning. The Scriptures are also teach us to be patient and steadfast, don't they? You know, when you feel like giving up, and, and then we go to the Word of God, and the Word of God is exhorting us to be patient and steadfast. The Scriptures are for our comfort too, aren't they? You ever felt lately like giving up? throwing the towel in, sinking into despair because of all the difficulties and trials of life? Do you run to the Word of God? Do you, do you look to the Scriptures for your comfort? We gain hope also from the Scriptures. You see, if you are coming up short on hope, then you need to get into the Word of God. You need to look and, and, and look at the promises and take them to heart and write them down and remind yourself of them. One person put it this way, hope is like a spiritual retirement fund. For believers, describing it as the hope that is laid up in heaven. A spiritual retirement fund. It's that hope, it's those promises that we read in Scripture that keep us going. You start losing hope as a Christian, and you will throw your towel in. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. If you're lacking in hope, you need to get into your word. You need to know the word of God. It's full of hope. It tells us where we started and it tells us the end. It gives us everything. Verse 5 really is like a prayer of Paul. Look at your Bibles. He says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. It's like Paul's prayer for us as a church. May the God of patience and comfort. How do you like that? The God of patience towards you. The God of comfort towards you grant you to be like-minded towards one another to do the same thing to be that way towards one another the new living translation says it this way may god who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other each with the attitude of christ jesus toward the other It's what we're called to do. Paul says, it will be this God of patience and comfort who will encourage you to be like-minded towards the weak. We could come back to that. Towards the weak, brother. Because you want to see them built up. In love, you want to see them built up and encouraged in doing well. He wants us to be like-minded towards one another. He says, according to Christ Jesus. Why? Because He's our example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. Do you hear a word in there? We get comforted by God, and God says, you know what? I just comforted you through my scriptures, by my Holy Spirit, by showing myself to you, and you can go out and comfort somebody else with that same comfort that I just comforted you. Have you ever done that? You've been through it. I've been right where you're at, man. I know right where you're at. Let me encourage you. Let me give you something that might encourage you right now. Because I've been there before. I remember my low. I remember when I was there. That's what God calls us to do with one another. Verse 6, that you may be of one mind and one mouth, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being of one mind and one mouth means that we're in harmony with one another. We're in harmony in our thoughts and our words with one another. We're we're in agreement. 
Now, does that mean that we agree upon everything? No. There'll be times when we won't agree on everything. But everything comes back to the heart of love. Everything comes back to wanting to see that person built up, edified, and built up. The early church was that example of a church that was living in one accord. Acts 2.46 tells us that the early church continued daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I like that. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Sounds so simple. They were just doing what God had instructed them to do. They were being led of the Holy, and there was this one accord. Pretty amazing what the Lord will do in our lives if we'll allow Him to have His way. We'll finish in verse 7. Paul concludes, and notice he concludes it with a therefore. Therefore, this is the crux of it all. This is the verse that we want to zero in on. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This verse, in a sense, takes us back again to 14.1, where it says, and we're exhorted to receive one who is weak in the faith. Paul says here that we are to receive one another. I think that receiving one another means that in spite of the differences that we might have at times, we're still Christians that are called to love one another, to strive after unity, to seek to build one another up. We're called to receive one another. Christ has already received us. So for me to say, I don't receive you. (laughs) I don't, you know, well, Jesus already received me. You don't, but He did. Receive one another is what we're called to do. And you know, receiving one another for some is based upon what denomination you belong to. Well, I don't receive you. You go to that denomination. Well, we're this. That's wrong. That's not God's church. That's not what God's design is for the church. What denomination you belong to. Now, what, where are you at spiritually? How grown are you? You know, well, you, there, there's the weak church over there, and we're the strong church. You know, anyone comes in, no matter where you're at. How about the social status? Oh, you know, well, we, you know, we have a certain kind of people that come here. And this church is open to whoever, no matter how they drag themselves in here. It's open to anyone and everyone. It's the way every church should be. It's the way we should be as Christians. If Jesus so freely received us, And I put that word freely in there. 
that we should freely receive one another. Why? To the glory of God. That's what he says. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I added that, that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Is there anything that you could say to that? We're one in Christ. That's it. There's one body of believers. That's all. And what we do with one another is what will either glorify God or not. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.